Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to Good morning. Good morning. It is Monday, November 21, 2022. Yeah. Hey, good looking. What you got cooking this morning? Mm, I I would like some like bacon this morning that maybe also has some like either cracked pepper or brown sugar on it. That that just sounds particularly good this morning. What um what are you, some of your favorites to make during Thanksgiving week that that are non-traditional. Do you have like some favorite things that you're working on this week that I might consider non-traditional? You might consider them totally traditional. I'd love to hear about that, not just today, but all week. You can text me, 877-933-2484. Rick is wondering if I'm already dry brining my turkey. Rick, I have, um, I got to cook three different days this week, uh, turkey uh, and ham for Matthew's class party tomorrow. I'm making turkey breasts for that and then a spiral cut, uh, you know, I don't really know that it's honey-baked ham. That's like the fancy version. I'm making a non-fancy version of that. And then um, uh, on Wednesday, I am serving traditional turkey with all the sides to one part of the family. On Thursday, a less traditional version, all the traditional sides, but we're having brisket because I think by then... I am going to be tired of turkey, and maybe so will everyone else. So, what are your um, what are your things you're working on this week? What What are some of the things that you make that you might consider traditional, but I might consider totally non traditional, and might be oh yeah, there 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 you are. The people who want to list the things that I can't pronounce, Ludafisk. Did I get it right this year, Paul? You yes, Ludafisk. 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 If Ludafisk is on your list, it's already been mentioned by a number of people, and so you don't need to feel compelled to tell uh, me that that's actually, on your list. Actually, I'll, I'll take Ludafisk, which is not the it, – it, it hardly has any flavor to it. The, the cooking is the worst part about it, but <sighs> pickled herring. Do not. Uh, do yes, we don't not I, do pickled I really, herring. I really am sort of in the camp that only a pickle should be pickled. I agree. That's kind of my yeah, and 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 only Jello like with the fruit flavors should be gelatinous. Other things that are gelatinous are just gross. That's my personal opinion. What is your personal opinion out there today? Yeah, I'm open to hearing it. All right, uh, I have a couple of headlines to cover before we jump into our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental about all of the benefits of gratitude. Pro life advocates have sued the FDA. Um, as abortion pills are going onto the shelves in stores across the country. Uh, I was in a very major, huge, big retailer, and there was a giant display, a giant display for what we used to call the after-morning pill. Um, And uh, it's just available right there. It's all stocked right out there. You can just, uh, you know, pick it up and take it home and, um, yeah, bring a pregnancy to an end on your own. Uh, And there are 
uh, pro-life advocates saying it just ought to not be like this in terms of uh, over-the-counter availability, but then also um, the ways in which uh, cocktails of medicines are being prescribed um, to women to eliminate uh, pregnancies further along. So lots going on there. Um, San Francisco this is not going to surprise you, but it might make you um, it might make you pay, take pause and give you an opportunity for a conversation today. They have a a guaranteed in, income program for trans identified people, um, and the application is now available. And on the application, and again, this is the city of San Francisco providing guaranteed income for trans identified people. Um, and on the application, there are more than a hundred and thirty, a hundred and thirty gender, sexuality, and pronoun options. And you're encouraged to check all that apply. So this GIFT program, GIFT, Guaranteed Income for Transgender People, GIFT program, is going to provide economically marginalized people with a guaranteed monthly income. Um, Yeah, uh, Enrollees can make a maximum of $4,000 a month and still be enrolled in the program. Uh, So there you go. Um, Oh, by the way, some of the pronoun options on the application are things that you and I have probably never even heard of. Uh, Z, Zim, Zis, Fe, Fear, Fears, Fares, Fears, Te, Tur, Turs. Yeah, I don't I don't even know what they all mean. There you go. Um, Meanwhile, um, halfway around the world, the U.S. military on Saturday responded to recent missile launches from North Korea by flying two supersonic bombers alongside South Korean and Japanese warplanes in a display of strength that North Korea might be deterred from launching uh, additional ICBM um, missiles that are obviously nuclear capable. So, What are we talking about here in the United States and what is happening in the world? Let's be globally concerned, my friends. Next up, Dr. Linda Mintel is going to join us. We're going to talk about uh, the benefits of gratitude. There are lots of them. Thanks be to God. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Dr. Linda Mental. Welcome back. Well, good morning, and I am doing something completely untraditional for Thanksgiving this year. We and what are my you daughter. Doing? Well, my daughter's not happy because she's not getting stuffing, <laughs> which she's like, "Oh my goodness, why are we changing this?" Part of my family has COVID. They're not traveling, so we're down to a very small number. So we're doing a standing rib roast instead of a turkey. So we'll nice. see. <laughs> Nice. Okay. No, she's not happy. She's not happy with this. She's like, I want the turkey, the stuffing. So here's the question. Does she have the recipe? Is she, you know, could she make that? No, she's not going to make that. She's not that type of cook. (laughs) So, you know, I told her for Christmas, we'll, we'll concede when everybody's here, we'll concede and we'll flip it and we'll do something different at Christmas. So she'll get the turkey eventually. I like it. 
I like it. Yeah. All right. Talk with us about the many benefits of gratitude. This was actually the subject of uh, your show this past weekend. And folks can get not only the audio, but the notes as well at MyFaithRadio.com. You're looking for the Dr. Linda Mental show um, when you go there. Talk with us about the many benefits of gratitude, Linda. Okay. So this is really astounding when you think about a small change that you can make by being very intentional and by verbalizing and thinking about the things that you're thankful for. So we all know the scripture that says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, right? That's in Mm -hmm. Psalms. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. And then on that very well-known part of scripture, it says, giving thanks to the Father through him. So there's scripture everywhere that talks about giving thanks, but physically, here's what gratitude does. It leads to fewer aches and pains. It lowers your blood pressure. It improves your immune system, and it helps you heal even from trauma. So if you've had trauma in your life, focusing your brain on gratitude can actually produce some healing in the brain. And it also releases the hormone oxytocin, which is that that bonding hormone that makes you uh, fall in love and makes you bond to a child. And in addition to all of that, it, it decreases the activation of stress hormones like cortisol that is not good for the body. So who knew your body has a very big physical reaction to gratitude that makes you feel good. And then Carmen, there's psychological benefits. So overall, we know that uh, gratitude helps the brain increase dopamine. That's that reward feeling in the brain that we all want and love when we eat chocolate and good foods, like we're going to do at Thanksgiving. And it so it works on that. And the expression of gratitude also gives you more positive emotions. And when you have more positive emotions, you feel more happiness, you feel more joy. It makes you feel uh, better about life and it helps you bounce back from stress. And then finally, on the social level, it helps you feel more optimistic and more compassionate. Um, and who doesn't want to be around people who are constantly grateful for things? I mean, those are the people that we gravitate to. So we're admonished in scripture to give thanks, but boy, when you look at it, it does a lot. And here's the one thing that people may not know. So I'm going to write another blog on this because it's just so important. The dividend with gratitude is in the details. So the more you give details about what you're grateful for, the more it impacts you in a positive way. So getting very specific with your gratitude. And I, I think it's interesting, worth mentioning, there was a there was a interesting intervention done at Google years ago, um, a few years ago, not that long ago, but uh, there was a consultant who I heard speak who was brought in to help Google with their sort of their organizational climate and trying to make things, you know, better their culture and trying to improve things. And the one intervention he gave them was every morning, start your day, pick one person, send them a text or an email and tell them something you are grateful for about them. Make sure you put in a detail and do that every day for like a month. And they mm. found that it changed the organization's culture just by that very small, easy intervention to do. Oh, I love that. I've also heard you encourage us um, to write down three things every day we're grateful for and then track how our mood changes just because we do that one thing. So I like the simple exercises approach. Um, all right. Who today could you text or call? Um, maybe it is a person from your church who serves you there. Maybe it is somebody at work. Maybe it is a neighbor 
Um, maybe it's a member of your family. Maybe it's somebody that you know is going to be serving your community this Thanksgiving in ways that um, you know, you're just grateful for. What would it look like for you to text them or call them or email them today and just tell them that you're thankful for them? It might change the way you feel. It's going to definitely change the way they feel. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. More with Dr. Linda Mental in just a moment. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, this is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com and then be assured of our prayers for you in the spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Dr. Linda Mental is here and we are talking about a range of topics um, Linda, I'd like to talk with you about this article I read in the New York Times um, about the fact that a lot of Americans are on antidepressants, and yet there's a lot of us who don't know how they work, and we think they work in ways that they don't work. So can you can you just help us understand, like, why are antidepressants prescribed? How many Americans are being prescribed antidepressants, and what do we know about their real effectiveness? Uh, there's a lot around this topic that is really important for people to understand. The The stats, Carmen, are that maybe it's one in five Americans on an antidepressant. Wow. That was one that I just read that was in from July. Uh, so a lot of people are prescribed. Now, the thing you need to know about antidepressants is that they're slow to work. So you don't take them like you might take a medication for attention deficit disorder. It works immediately. Antidepressants don't work like that. They're typically, at least not the the SSRIs, which is the common one, the serotonin, the serotonin type of antidepressant. So they don't work fast. They take about four to eight weeks, uh, four, four to six weeks maybe, with some people maybe a little quicker, maybe a little slower to work. And they are basically sort of trial and error. So I worked in a practice with prescribers for 25 years, and we try to listen to family history. We try to see if there's one in their family because of the genetic similarities. Does this one seem to work well? But sometimes it's just trial and error. And there's a very famous study that was mentioned in that article called the STAR-D study. And in that study, they found that sometimes it takes four different trials of an antidepressant before you get the right one to work. And and here's sort of the bottom line, too, is that they don't work for everybody. So they're not the end-all, be-all. However, for the people that they work for, they can work very well. So I want to take away the stigma of a medication. You know, if somebody had diabetes, we wouldn't say to them, hey, don't take your insulin, just, you know, gut it out, do other things. So sometimes these medications are very important, especially if someone is suicidal or someone just can't get out of bed and they're really struggling, but they don't always work. And we're finding out more and more in terms of the biochemistry, what happens in the brain. So for years we thought, oh, it's just a chemical imbalance. It's this serotonin that's in the brain. 
But now without without going into a lot of neurotransmitter talk and things that would put your audience to sleep, just like the turkey will on Thursday, um, you know, Ooh, what we need to kind of under- should have a we should have a quick yes. conversation about tryptophan at some point. Yeah, yeah. So so one of the things that we now know, it's really more about the connections in the brain and what it's doing to structures in the brain, like the hippocampus and stuff. And so there's it's a lot more complicated than just, you know, a serotonin issue. So as we know more and more about this, we're trying to figure out what what is actually happening in the brain, what works, what is growing, what are these growth factors in the brain that can help actually grow new cells and, and then create this, what we call neuroplasticity in the brain. So the brain can change and it can adapt and things can get better. But I want to say that you know you might have to try a few trials as you're going forward, but there are also a number of non-pharmacological treatments that are also effective with an antidepressant. And one of the things that is also interesting with antidepressants is that we think there may also be, for some people, a placebo effect. So that Mm -hmm. just means that even, you know, just the idea that you're taking it, you think, oh, I'm going to get better. So anytime, this is always a factor in a lot of scientific studies. Sometimes we don't know, is it because someone feels like they're doing something, they're helping themselves, and that already is changing the brain and making things better? Or is it the actual thing that they're doing? So there could be that effect as well with taking antidepressants. But there's a lot of different kinds of therapies that you can do that are very effective. They're what we call evidence-based in that we know they work. And sometimes even a medication with a therapy is a good idea. So the therapies that work, one of them is called cognitive behavioral therapy. So if you're you're struggling with depression and you want to go find a therapist, you can ask about that type of therapy. Or another one that is effective is something called interpersonal therapy. And that type of therapy really looks at your relationships, how you get along with other people, what kind of support you have. And that is also something that we call evidence-based. And then, of course, for people that are really what we call treatment resistance, they're just trying a lot of different things. We have, um, you know, ECT, the electroconvulsive therapy that works with an electric current. It's nothing like what you've seen in the movies. It's really a non-event when you're watching it. But it does have some residuals for some people. Sometimes there's memory loss associated with it. But one that I'm really, really keen on and looking at more and more is one called repetitive transcranial, I'm trying to think what it stands for, transcranial magnetic stimulation. So it's called TMS. And this is really where you have some magnetic field that is put on the scalp, and it seems to make some of those changes in the brain. And we're finding this to be an effective therapy for a number of things. So you need to just go to your your therapist or your physician, and you need to talk about the options and try Mm. some different things. I wish we could say there's a one-size-fits-all. You know, it's not like, okay, you have diabetes, here's your insulin medication, There's just a lot of different medications. Sometimes when one class of antidepressants don't work, those SSRIs, there's something called an SNRI, which works on different things in the brain like norepinephrine and dopamine and other things. So there's a lot of options, um, but we do know that many of these treatments are successful. And we have lots of studies now that say if you don't treat depression early on and you don't treat it, it does a lot of damage to the physical body 
and even to your mood long term. And we're starting to even look at things like, does it affect cognitive decline later in life? So just encourage Mm. everybody that's listening to get treatment and talk it over with their treatment team. Sleep, diet, exercise, get outside. Oh, yeah meditation, oh, yeah, behavioral changes, and therapy. <laughs> like right Yeah, now. the trifecta. The, don't just, downplay I, that. Sleep, no, I exer- know, I exercise, know. exercise, exercise. That really is becoming a huge thing for depression. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and if you can do it outside with somebody else, yes. like those are like bonus points. Yeah, yep. so, so good. Um, Linda, as always, all right, we, we don't have time today to talk about tryptophan, um, but you, you are going to get sleepy, strangely, weirdly yes. sleepy if you eat turkey. <laughs> That's there you go. That's right. Right. That's All right. right. Hey, thank you as always so much and happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. Bless you, you could guys. Send Have your, a great week. You could send your daughter to my house because we're definitely having I stuffing. Oh, and I she know. actually lives by you. So there you go. <gasps> there you go. Tell her there's going to be dressing um, on both Thursday, uh, Wednesday and Thursday this oh, week at my no. house. She's going to okay. be upset yeah. with me. Send her okay. over. All right. <laughs> Love you. Thank you. All right. Take care. You're listening right. to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're going to take a break for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. no idea if that's an appropriate intro song for Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. He's the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And uh, and yes, sir, we are talking about Thanksgiving and the chance that <clears throat> many or all of us are going to overindulge. We're uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to eat way too much mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving. Right, Carmen? I mean, it's it's a little frightening to think about, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. All right. We um. Paul, where am I? Am I supposed to be taking? Do I have to have a break, or am yes, I this you do. time? This is, yeah, I I got kind of excited that he's here and that we were going to get to talk with him, and instead I have to take a very very brief break. But when we come back, we're definitely going to talk with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek, who you actually know is already here and available. So we'll be right back. We're going to talk about some headlines related to Christian higher education, and if you hold out your hand. And you trace around it for Thanksgiving like it's a turkey. We're also going to talk about five ways to view the fragmentation among American evangelicalism. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Gobble, gobble. Dr. Corbin Hornbeek is joining us. He's the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can connect with him at unwsp.edu. Corbin, welcome back. Well, good morning, Carmen. It's so good to be back here, the start of this Thanksgiving week. Uh, it's going to be a great week for everybody. We're looking forward to a little bit of a break here. I, th- I thought, just as we you know, kick off this uh, conversation this morning, I, I want to say thank you to all of mm-hmm. our supporters who support this uh, program and support Faith Radio. Uh, we are very, very grateful for your support. It's grateful for all those listeners who are part of this show every day. Well, I would reflect that right back. Um, We are so thankful at Faith Radio to be a part of the ministry, the outreach ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. It's a a wonderful, dynamic, I think mutually blessed relationship. So, yeah, so thank you. 
Um, so I have been reading headlines related to Eastern University, um, Eastern University being affiliated with the American Baptist churches, for those of you who are listening. Um, and Eastern University has been a part of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, the CCCU. Yeah. Um, and they have now made a change in their policies, um, and that is affecting not only their relationship with other Christian colleges and universities, but I think that the way, you know, people perceive them. So talk with us a little bit about yeah. what's going on at Eastern <clears throat> University and maybe why sh- why we should care. Like, why is this relevant to people even beyond that particular school? Well, you bet. Well, uh, first of all, Carmen, I mean, this, this is the lightning rod issue, uh, not only in Christian higher education, but also in churches today. Uh, the issue of LGBTQ, um, how do we as Christians... Um, step into this conversation and how do uh, churches, um, Christian universities navigate this, uh, but it extends also to faith-based ministries and, and other nonprofit organizations. And the, the, really the lightning rod issue comes down to whether or not um, Christian universities should hire um, faculty and staff who are in fact uh, in same-sex relationships or same-sex marriages. Um, the CCCU has a prohibition on that and uh, has provided cover for the 150-member uh, CCCU institutions across the country um, to maintain a biblical uh, perspective of marriage. And so um, as we're, you know, we're, we're Christians, um, we hold to biblical fidelity. We hold to a traditional view of marriage and family, and yet we live in a pluralistic world, a uh, increasingly secular world. And we are, uh, uh, I would say, we're navigating our way through that with uh, both an understanding of how to live as Christians in a secular world um, and yet maintain fidelity to uh, not only the biblical um, position on marriage and family, but also, uh, as you said, why does it matter? Um, and we would say that it's not just a matter of us versus them and what we think versus what other people think, uh, but we we believe that it actually matters in this world. So we're talking with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. We're talking about the challenge that each and every one of us faces as a Christian in the culture today. Um, I think that you know, to put it, to turn a phrase here, how do we step into this conversation without stepping in it? Like, right, there is a challenge here when we talk about LGBTQ concerns or SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identity concerns. And we're talking about it in relationship to Christian higher ed, but it's certainly not um, uh, isolated to this particular environment. Uh, Eastern is not alone. Calvin University in Grand Rapids has been seeking to navigate this issue. Um, and others across the country as well. So I think that when we when we think about the term Christian university or Christian college, depending on our exposure to or experience of a particular mm-hmm. so-called Christian university or college, we think a certain set of things. So there's a there's there's a bit of a category distinction though um, when you think of maybe schools that have historically been a part of um, denominations mm-hmm. or affiliated with yep. particular um, denominational expressions, and then more independent um, Christian universities or colleges that might be um, uniquely distinct in the way that uh, they characterize themselves. So yep. can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that, like, Duke, let's just be fair. 
Um, just because Christians built it doesn't mean it's operating out of a Christian worldview. Harvard would be the same, or yeah. Princeton. I mean, go down the list. So right. um, can you help us see that sort of migration over time a little bit? You, you bet, uh, Carmen. And I think th- this brings us into some really important uh, sort of historical perspective of uh, issues related to um, – religious liberty and religious freedom and other things in higher education like academic freedom. And what are the bounds of academic freedom? So, um, and I'll reflect, you know, our position here at the University of Northwestern because it's really important for us as a university to not only state who we are and what we believe, but why we believe it. And so the University of Northwestern is not uh, affiliated with any particular denomination. And so we are independent uh, in that regard. And so, um, you know, denominations move, denominations shift. Uh, universities uh, that are affiliated with those denominations sometimes lead those shifts uh, or they um, or they go along with them. You know, I, Carmen, as we go, as we address this issue of uh, LGBTQ and sexual identity, we're living in a world um, where identity formation is... Um, at the whim, if you will, of culture right now. And and our culture and our young people are growing up in a culture that says you get to choose. Um, this is, you know, part of the whole uh, shift of, of uh, is truth absolute or is truth relative. So we're living in a world right now uh, uh, characterized by a great deal of secularism and uh, relativism as it relates to truth. Um, and so uh, the application of that, of course, is that you're identity, who you are, is something that you get to choose. And the idea that uh, that God has imprinted our identity on us uh, is kind of, in some ways, maybe an old-fashioned idea. I also think it's one of the most freeing ideas uh, as Christians that uh, we embrace. So as Christians and uh, University of Northwestern, Northwestern Media, we believe in this uh, this I- biblical idea of the Imago Dei, the idea that God has created us in his image. And that image also is uh, in its uh, pre-fall form uh, 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 aligns with who he is. And that's a, you can think a lot of big thoughts, uh, who is God and what is char- what's his character and his attributes and all of those kinds of things. But if we really start with a set of first principles, who is God, what are his attributes and his holiness and all of that, and then begin to work toward an understanding of our identity and our image uh, in the middle of all that, I think we have a very hopeful future ahead of us. Uh, but I have, uh, I have read articles, and I think the article that you're referring to, Carmen, uh, one of the uh, professors um, who is quoted in there says, I wouldn't want to be a college president in today's world. And I, I take the, uh, the opposite view of that. This is a fantastic time to be not only a college president, but it's a fantastic time to be a Christian university uh, stepping into these uh, very complex discussions. We're talking with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. He's the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can find him and more about um, UNW at unwsp.edu. Um, Corbin, let's do this. What um, Make the case. Make the case to people yep. listening right now for the value of attending or supporting a distinctly Christian college or university in North America today. Like, like what's mm-hmm. the so what in terms of... Um, preparing students and serving the culture. 
Oh, wow. <clears throat> I love that question, Carmen, because I have to make that case every single day uh, to our prospective students, uh, to our donors and people who support financially the, the University of Northwestern Media. Uh, we have to make that case to a broader culture, uh, and the gap is is widening. I go back to, uh, you know, there's so many passages of Scripture, but ultimately the case has to be grounded in Scripture, not just a, an opinion of what we think and, uh, you know, what do I think versus what do you think. I go back to um, John 1.14. Uh, John 1.14 is a, is a passage where it describes uh, Jesus, and it says he came uh, full of grace and truth. And so here we are on a Monday morning, um, if, if you will indulge me a little bit, let me do a little bit of biblical exegesis around a few words. I think there's some really important words. It says that Jesus came uh, full of, of grace and truth. There are three words in here that, that I love, and I like doing a little Greek word study, but, but the word full uh, uh, describes abounding in or completely occupied with. Uh, the word grace, which is uh, charis, that Greek word charis, uh, is is really a disposition of moving toward or leaning uh, leaning toward, and then the idea of truth is both uh, not just factual truth, Carmen, but also uh, what what comports with reality. So you have two kinds of of reality, you know, uh, uh, objective truth, but also what is uh, real in the world. Um, you know, when we talk about grace and truth in the world today, we we think of it as a swinging pendulum. And it, it kind of comes across that way. Are you more grace-oriented or are you more truth-oriented? And I think as we're, as we're thinking about the, the importance of a Christian university in today's world, um, we go back to passages like John 1.14 that says Jesus came full of, not swinging between uh, one extreme or the other, but full of uh, outpouring over uh, with both grace and truth. And... Our place in the world today as a Christian university ought to be that place of grace and truth. Amen. Amen. We're going to return to our conversation with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek here in just a moment. We're going to reflect together on um, maybe the categories or factions might be a different word among American evangelicals today. If you hold out your hand, like you might trace around it to make a turkey uh, pattern, remember when you did that when you were a kid, we're going to talk about five different maybe slices of the evangelical theological pie today. Help us uh, see maybe where we fit in that, but also recognize that others call themselves evangelical, but may mean something different when they say it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. He's the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can find him and more about the university at UNWSP. Faith Radio is a part of Northwestern Media, and Northwestern Media is a part of the ministry Outreach to the World, 
of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. So in addition to being a wonderful place for students to live in community and grow in um, their understanding of who they are and get prepared to launch into the world that God so loves as Christians in all kinds of vocational expressions, um, the University of Northwestern St. Paul is also impacting the world. You are a part of that if you're listening right now, or as you listen right now, you're a part of that. Um, And so we are grateful to God for this um, wonderful collaborative calling. Mm. Corbin, you and I have both read an an article um, at pathios.com. Daniel Williams is the author The Five Emerging Factions in Evangelical Higher Education. Um, I think we have to have uh, a quick definitional, like, let's get on the same page. Um, Evangelical higher education, first of all, let's acknowledge we're talking here about the United States of America or maybe Mm -hmm. North America. We're not talking about global Christianity. Um, So we're talking about American evangelicalism, and we're not talking about it as a populist movement, mm-hmm. we're talking about it in higher ed. And right. I think all of those distinctions have to be made when we start talking about slicing up the theological pie. You bet. Well, uh, Carmen, you're absolutely right about that. And and the reality is that the word evangelical, you just throw that word out there and you have just thrown uh, you know a grenade in the room and closed the door. Um, it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. It used to be a word that had a much narrower definition in the world. Um, and, uh, and now the word evangelical comes uh, as a fairly loaded word and means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And you find that reflected in the trends that you, that, you know, that we're observing in, in what we would call Christian evangelical uh, higher education. Um, there is a, an organization that University of Northwestern is part of called the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities, the CCCU, that is uh, headquartered in Washington, D.C. And, and the CCCU provides um, really some, uh, not only guidance for what it means to be an evangelical Christian university in today's world, but also advocates on behalf of Christian higher education in the world um, in Washington, D.C. So uh, you are you are right that, uh, um, that there is a... Um, uh, a, a great breadth of what that word means, and uh, as we have a conversation about today, it's important to to establish that. All right, so one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, conservative culture warriors, colorblind but anti-nationalist conservatives, racially <laughs> progressive complementarians, gender egalitarians, and LGBTQ plus advocates. That's um, like I, the chicken noodle soup of, uh, <laughs> of the I world we're am, right? Yeah, I yeah. am pretty much, I think, a number two. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Um, so, but if I, if I hold up my hand, like one of the ways to approach this, I think, is just to recognize there's just more varieties than, um, than two. Um, and then, and yet we're all on the same hand. There's a, right. there's a way of looking at this as sort of like a diversity in the midst of a unity or unity and diversity conversation as well. You bet. And the, the reality of, of this, uh, Carmen, uh, and particularly as you get into the, you know, four and five, uh, it starts to sound uh, to a lot of people and probably to a lot of our listeners and even to myself, uh, how does this even reflect evangelicalism? Uh, it starts to feel very, very different. It's also important to understand that within the broad spectrum of evangelicalism, there are some things uh, that matter as a as a 
biblical mandate and priority, some of the, the social concerns and social causes, and, and young people today are very driven by social concerns and causes, uh, concern for the poor, concern for uh, people who are living on the margins. Uh, as you uh, as you move toward the the right, if you will, uh, end of this uh, spectrum, uh, you see um, priorities of uh, biblical inerrancy and biblical fidelity and um, adherence to what we would maybe think of as the plain precepts of, of Scripture as it relates to marriage and protecting uh, marriage and protecting uh, a biblical understanding of marriage and family, um, but also resistance to some of the broader cultural um, encroachments of, uh, of, of really important um, uh, biblical foundations to our life. So you've you've described uh, the, uh, the the hand pretty well. Uh, those five uh, spectrums, and they uh, definitely are diverse. That's for sure. So I think um, just to give folks a, a sense of flavor of what um, of what's included here. We're just going to encourage you to check out the link in the show notes today. Um, the five emerging factions in evangelical higher education. Uh, it is a post by Daniel Williams at pathios.com, but it'll be included in the show notes for Mornings with Carmen. You can get those later at uh, at myfaithradio.com on the show page. Or if you subscribe to Mornings with Carmen as a podcast, then wherever you get your podcast, the show notes are going to be available right there in the description and all the links um, to all of the articles and the individuals we talked with today on the show. Um, so I do think that, uh, Dr. Hornbeek, when we talk about this, I, I think that there are some fairly prescient observations made in yeah. this article. One of them is about, um, like, uh, mobility, like the ability of a, a member of a faculty to move mm-hmm. from one school to another um, because of these differing understandings yeah. um, of what it means to be an evangelical or the particular um, viewpoint that an individual has, particularly in relationship to LGBTQ sure. concerns. Yeah. Well, the, um, uh, the, the fact that we see so much uh, division of what it means to be evangelical uh, happening and with really specific definitions around those divisions, uh, the school that you are, your college or university that you're part of, um, uh, you sort of automatically gets put into a particular category. So um, one of my, you know, hopes for, uh, I, I have this, I, I don't think this is too Pollyannish. I, I really do believe that the Christian Academy um, ought to be a place where we are able to ask really difficult questions and discuss really difficult questions within the bounds of uh, what does Scripture define as true, uh, and uh, and then what is our mission, what is our purpose in the world, and how do we then um, create a framework to help students navigate. We don't want to tell students what to believe or tell them what they should believe, but we want to teach them how to think. So uh, to your question of, of mobility from one institution to another, uh, as institutions become characterized by you know one of these five uh, places on the evangelical spectrum, if you will, uh, um, it, it can become difficult for faculty members to 
uh, sort of separate themselves out from that and, uh, and, and sort of stand on their own scholarship and stand on their own uh, sense of understanding of what is, what is right and true and good uh, in the world. And, and you come as a faculty member, now maybe increasingly more so, uh, with the characterization of your institution versus what do you individually believe. And that's really important for us uh, at the University of Northwestern to be able to um, teach students what to believe and how to believe it. What to believe and how to believe it. And then I think, you know, one of the things that I love about UNW is there's just a lot of conversation about then how do you walk that in out into the world, yeah. like beyond your on-campus experience? How do you, you know, how do you live as yeah. a and as an activated disciple, um, always and in always, it's just so good. Hey, as always, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. That's Dr. Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. Um, he'll join us next month as well, for sure. Um, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. What a joy um, to gather with you today. You can. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.